All right, let's open our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2, por favor. That's Spanish, in case you didn't know. I grew up in San Diego, and uh, you kind of take Spanish, and so I can kind of get by. So, so I'm going to try to preach in Spanish today. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? Yeah, it'd be something all right. 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you've turned there, you know, we, we, t- we talked uh, a, c- a few weeks back, actually, I think it was three weeks ago, we've had a couple of uh, special uh, uh, things in between, but we talked about the fact that we're in this together. In verse 22, in the last part of it, it says, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, that we flee the evil desires of youth, we pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with others. Along with those. So we do this thing together. We, we fight this fight. We seek after. We pursue after God together. It's not, as I was there uh, on Wednesday looking up, I could see the independent man up there. You know, it's not like the independent man, right? We do this together. We fight this fight together. It's not the Lone Ranger. You remember that? We really do need each other, because this is what God's, God's plan is. And if I turn this on, it'll work better. That we do really need each other. That's what God's plan is. So this word uh, fellowship is uh, the Greek word koinonia, and what it means, it means that we're partners. And it means that we're participants, that we are partners together and we participate together. We get involved together. We encourage one another, and we looked at all the different verses. We encourage one another. We spur one another on. We challenge one another. We accept one another. We, we serve one another. We pray for each other. These are the things that God has called us to do in the body of Christ, to help each other in the battles. Okay, I need you, you need me, we need each other, right? Amen. Can I hear that again? Amen. Okay. And the other one's saying, well, I don't need those people. I don't need those church people. <laughs> we do, we really need each other. And, you know, it just, it comes to me over and over again, you know, when we go through these trials and struggles. So today, uh, I want to look at something a little bit different. It kind of ties together, though, but I want to ask you the question, do you ever argue? Do you ever argue? Do you ever argue? Okay, that's better. It's kind of hard to help each other when we're arguing, though, isn't it? Now, for the sake of argument, I want to tell you, I want to give you some definitions, because there really are two definitions of argument, right? Number one, uh, and, and different dictionaries list them, the order differently, but number one uh, would be, let me read this to you, an exchange of diverging or opposite views, typically a heated or angry one. That's mostly the argument that we know about, right? It's mostly the one I know about. And then the other, the other definition is this, it's like a, a reason or set of reasons given with the aim of persuading others. Now, in a heated argument, we're trying to persuade them, too, but it's not the same kind of thing. This is more, uh, you know, where we're discussing 
And we're trying to persuade, we have a, we're putting forth our argument, right? And that's kind of, that's okay, that's a good kind of usage of that word. But how often is it that that's not quite what's happening between us and us? Remember, we're supposed to be helping each other and we need each other. There's also this thing, I found this interesting. Uh, you know, you've heard the phrase, arguing for the sake of arguing. And I thought, that's just somebody who likes to fight. Any of you argue just because you like to argue? But it's actually, in, it's actually a whole, it's a whole uh, section of philosophy and rhetoric or, or speaking. It's a whole section, a whole area, and they call, it, they call it aristic, and it's from the ancient Greek goddess Eris, E-R-I-S, the goddess of chaos, strife, and discord. So these kind of words, these, words, you know, these things kind of you know, overlap each other too. We, we, we get heated and stuff like that, but there's also where we want to uh, put forth an argument with you know, reasoning and these kinds of things. But this idea of just arguing for the sake of conflict. The title of my message today is this, The Value of Arguing. Now, when I put that up on the board, what do you think? What's your first thought? There is no value. I mean, so, so for, for the sake of this message, I'm going to speak about the definition number one, okay? I'm not going to be speaking about, you know, reasoned arguments and that kind of thing, although that certainly comes into play when we're having these back and forth discussions, but I'm going to be speaking mainly about where we're going at it, like I, like I showed you here. Now, that's me on the right. <laughs> not really. You know, how does this happen? You know, you think about this. You're having like a normal talk with somebody. Everything is fine. Everything is cool. Everything is good. Then all of a sudden, what happens? All of a sudden, it just like escalates, and you're like uh, all turning red like I am right now. Am I red? Okay. Let me work that up. Now am I all red? See, you, you get all red. You get all freaked out. You, you're getting all emotional. You get all... This anger thing starts happening. You start going at it. Any of you kind of relate to what I'm talking about here? You know, I, I, I thought I was going to, my original intention was to find a video that I could play for you right now. Um, and, you know, there's all this stuff on the internet. But you know what? I couldn't find one that I, could, that I could actually play. They were either, like, too rude or they were, like, too angry. And it was like, I, I just couldn't do it. I had to say, no, I can't do that. Because it was going to freak me out, much less freak you out as well. So I just have to kind of, you know, kind of explain. So, so when these kinds of things happen, how does it happen? Let me ask you. How do these things happen? Why, why does it get like that? Someone said pride, yeah? Huh? You have to speak a little louder. Hurt, yeah, you got, you're hurt, and so you want to... You want to hurt back, yeah. You got a difference of opinion. You want to make them know that you're right and they're wrong, right? That's okay. I mean, it's okay to to, to share how you feel and stuff, but but we usually go beyond that. Any other things that that cause us to hit those? 
offended, selfishness, somebody's pushing your buttons. It's, it just happens. You know, this is a reality, and we have to talk about stuff that is reality in the Christian life. Christians argue? Are you serious? I thought that once you became a Christian, like everything is like perfect, and you're never going to have an argument again, right? You know, one of the things that happens to you, have you noticed your eyes get real big? And like there's this intensity and you're looking at that person going and you go like, why are your eyes so big? Can you just like close your eyes a little bit? Like calm down a little bit. You know, the blood vessels are all like breaking in your eyeballs and you're like. You know, the scary thing is some of you probably had this on the way here to church this morning. (laughs) And you're going like this. Oh, man, he knows. You know, she she went up and told him. Or he went up and told him before church started. Uh, no one told me. I just know because I've been there. And so what we do now, we take separate cars. <laughs> and it just solves a lot of problems. Right? We just, we avoid a lot of things that way. Look at verse, uh, we're going to look at verses 23 through 26 today, chapter 2. We're going to talk about this. You see, the Bible has to do with everything in life. And this is a real, a real thing in life. This is a reality in life. In my life, in your life. But look what he says there in verse 23. He says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. That doesn't mean that we don't talk. That doesn't mean that we don't discuss things. I found some very interesting quotes. One says, when we discuss, we show our intelligence. When we argue, we display our ignorance. So when we cross over the line from discussion, you know, it's okay. But when we cross into this argument thing that's happening, Paul says here, don't have anything to do with these foolish and stupid arguments. And, and I looked up the, 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 uh, in Strong's uh, concordance, that's the Greek concordance for uh, the New Testament, uh, Old and New Testament. But I looked up this word for foolish, and it actually said blockhead. I was shocked. It's, that's, and that's an old, old uh, you know, uh, resource. Old, old dictionary. It's a concordance. It helps you to find every verse in the Bible kind of thing. But he said for this, don't have anything to do with blockhead. And the word for stupid means uninstructed, where you don't really know. Don't have anything to do with blockhead and uninstructed arguments. Because you know they produce quarrels. Don't have anything to do with them, he says. Watch out. You know, we get, we get, so often we get sidetracked, don't we? We, we? we start off and everything's okay, but then we start going down this little track, and, we, and this one thing, which actually is a small thing, starts to become a giant thing, right? You know what I'm saying? You know how I know this is because we have these things, we, we blow up and it all goes insane, and then like a year later, Or even a week later, you can't even remember what it was that you argued about. Does that ever happen to you? Why? Because it's not some, you know, huge issue. 
Now, let me, let me say this, though. It doesn't mean that we don't contend for the faith. The Bible says that we need to contend for the faith. We fight for the word of God. And that's one of the things that we were hearing uh, at Franklin Graham's rally, that we fight, we stand up for what God's word says. But we don't need to get in big, fat arguments with every person that we see. How about this proverb? Proverbs has a lot of wisdom. What does it say here? Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. Can you see that picture? Breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Drop the matter. It's like, you know, the, the dam. You know, it, it, you see it coming. And usually, usually we can see it coming, right? We know. If we keep going down this path, we're going we're gonna to be, you know, going at it here pretty quick. So he says, drop the matter before you get to that point in time. Now, again, I want to I point out to you that Paul is speaking to who? Believers. Paul is speaking to believers. I don't want any of you here sitting here thinking, you know what, all these other people around me, that never happens to them, and I'm so different from, from uh, you know, I'm like really bad, and, and like those people, they're all, I've never seen them argue and fight or whatever. Well, you haven't spent a lot of time together then, have you? Because it happens. It happens to you and to I. And if we are honest, this is reality. And if you live by yourself, you probably argue with yourself. <laughs> you say, well, I live by myself, so I never argue with anybody. Well, there it still happens. And you don't always stay in your house by yourself forever, right? So what does, what does arguing, remember the, the title of the message is what? The value of arguing. So what does arguing accomplish? What does it accomplish? Have you ever seen this huge argument actually, I mean, you know, we get through it and, and think, you know, we can kind of something, you know, salvage, but, but really all in all, it creates bad stuff, right? Division a lot more hurt, a lot more anger. What did Jesus say? He said this, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. Every city or household divided against itself will not stand. That's what happens. You see, it, we're, we're divided against one another and it, it, it destroys us. It destroys us. Man, this is real life stuff, people. I hope, I hope you understand that. Because I know, I really believe that we've all been there. Things said in the heat of the moment. How, how many times do you wish that you hadn't have said that? You get all worked up, and that's one of the reasons I couldn't play any videos because of the stuff that they said. When they started getting heat and they started saying stuff, we say stuff, right? And then we wish we could take those words back because the, the words, they don't go away. Right? And the memories. Someone said this, swallowing angry words is always easier than eating them. Swallowing them before they get out of your mouth because when you, when after they get out of your mouth, you're going to have to eat them. They're going to come back to you and me. The things we say. 
Someone else said this, anger is a feeling that makes your mouth work faster than your mind. You ever recognize that? You're saying stuff, and man, you're not even thinking about what, what you're saying. You're just like saying it. But I really like this one. When it's on the road or in an argument, when you see red, what? Stop. When you see red, stop. If we could only have a mirror and see how red our faces are turning. Stop. Better stop. Look what he says in verse 24 and verse 25. He says this, And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. And those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. The Lord's servant must not quarrel. Now, who is he talking about here when he says the Lord's servant? Well, primarily, first and foremost, the, the context, who, he's, who is he talking to? Anybody remember? Timothy. He's writing this letter to Timothy, and his primary, his first application is to Timothy as a leader, right? He's saying, listen, Timothy, as a leader, and Timothy, you know, and, and we call this one of the pastoral epistles because it's a, a letter that teaches leaders about leading, I guess. So he says, for the leader, for the leader, he says, The Lord's servant must not quarrel. The Lord's minister must not quarrel. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, he said one of the qualifications of an overseer, that it would be that he would not be quarrelsome. He would not be somebody that always wants to get into it. Okay, so the leader, this is an important facet, and, and, and maybe you've known leaders that that's, they just, you know, they were hard to get along with. But Paul is telling Timothy this is not the way it should be. Now, having said all that, does it only apply to leaders? No, because we're all called to be the Lord's servants, right? We are all witnesses. We are all examples to all the people around us. We're all called to be servants of the Lord. The Lord's servant must not quarrel. That's you and that's me. Let me say it one more time because it's something we need to understand. The Lord's servant must not quarrel. Not, well, it's okay to quarrel if you think you're right. It's, it's, okay, it's okay to quarrel if, you know, you want to, you know, just make this one last point. He says the Lord's servant must not quarrel. This kind of fighting attitude, this fighting, screaming Yelling. Doesn't mean you always have to scream and yell, though, to have that kind of argument, does it? How many of you can, like, do an argument thing without raising your voice? Any of you? You can really get it going. But you don't, you don't even have to raise your voice, and you're, like, going at it. But instead, I like that. He says we must not quarrel. Instead, he gives us, a, he gives us some, you know... Some a different way, a better way. He says, instead of that, a better way. And then he gives us some things to learn. Then he gives us some things to think about. 
The first one is this. What does he say there in that verse 24? Instead, what? He says he must be kind to everyone. He must be kind. Some versions translate it gentle. That goes a long way just to be kind. Am I being kind? Ask ourselves, am I being kind right now? Is this a kind thing? Am I, am I, the way I'm talking, the way I'm acting, is there any kindness happening, any gentleness happening in this thing right now? You know, kindness goes a long way, doesn't it? You know, are they, are they more willing to listen to you if you're being kind about it? Have you ever tried it? Well, let me try to say this in a kind way. We, have, we can ask ourselves, we can talk to ourselves like that. Let me try to say this in a kind way instead of just the way I want to say it. I can say it any way I want to say it. That's true. You can also say it in a kind way. Can I come up with some kind way to express this? How about the next one there? He says, uh, able to teach. That's kind of interesting. Again, as a leader, you know, ability to teach. But I wonder, did you ever have a teacher when you were in school? And some of you are. Did you ever have a teacher screaming at you? And how did that go? Yeah, you remembered it all right. But you didn't really like, you weren't like taking it in. You were like just building a case against them. He's going to talk a little bit about that more in the next verse, too. How about the next one? He says, not resentful. Not resentful. Another translation, enduring of ill, forbearing. Not resentful, forbearing. And, and I think, uh, when I think of this word not resentful, what comes to my mind is that I can't keep records. I can't keep records. Well, the last time we had this fight, you said... And the last time this happened, you did. And we kind of bring up all the past and bring it. And he's saying, no, that's not the way you're going to go forward. And the Lord's servant, you got to let go of those things. Not keeping records. Verse 25, he starts off, he says there, and, and those who oppose him, those who oppose him. And, and it's interesting uh, that the old King James used, translates it like this, those who oppose themselves. And there's a, there's a warrant for that translation in the, in, the, in the Greek language, those who oppose themselves. So not just this person is, is opposing you, but the one you're fighting with. And, and, and when we get like that, we are our own worst enemy. And though I might be having this fight and this argument with this other person here, I'm opposing myself too. I'm hurting myself as well. Right? Does that make sense? It hurts us. But he says that we should gently instruct. So he says to be kind. Be, be like a teacher, gently teaching. Not being resentful. Gentleness. Gently instruct. I think in this I see kind of some room to to um, help the other person understand. Maybe they don't know how you feel. It's okay. If you can do it in a gentle way, let me, let me explain to you like what I am going through and what I feel, what, the way this affects me. 
if you can do it in a gentle way, but if you're going to scream it at them, it's hard to think that they're going to get the message. You know what I mean? So we can instruct one another. But we can't do it in a way, you know, where I'm going to scream at you and say, I'll teach you something, right? Which is kind of what we do sometimes. Proverbs 15, 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. This is the Bible, people. This is, what, this is for you and me. A gentle answer, a soft answer, turns away wrath. Somebody said something to you, and you are, you're like ready to boil over, and, 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 you know, but, but you can just get right into it. You can stir it all up and get that thing going, boiling point. Or you can, you can ask God, God, help me to, to, to have a gentle answer. Now, let me say, I know all this from experience. Bad experience. I've done all this stuff the wrong way. But this is the right way. God tells us how to do it the right way, and, and he wants us to learn. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Do you know a good gentle answer? Anybody? I'm sorry. That's the first gentle answer. I'm sorry. You say, well, I didn't do anything wrong. No, you are innocent. It always takes two in my book. Takes two to tango. So find something. This is what I think. Find something to be sorry for. Because surely, if you look, well, maybe you're sorry that it happened that way. Maybe you're not going to say, I'm sorry I did that. Though I think so often we can find something that we did seriously to apologize for. But just saying those words, I'm sorry, it changes everything. Dynamics change. You know, why would we not say those two words? Why? Stubborn pride. You know, when you, when you raise little kids, right? You know, to teach them sometimes, you, to teach them to say, I'm sorry. Like, they're only like three years old. How do you know that you, sh- you, know, you don't want to say, I'm sorry. Like, if your parent or your grandparent is telling you, okay, now you just hit so-and-so over the head, and you need to go and say, I'm sorry. And they stubbornly refuse to say, I'm sorry. Where did they learn that? Well, they learned it from us, yeah. <laughs> but you know what? It's part of the sin nature. They, that stubborn streak is like right in there. It's the sin nature in us that, you know what, that pride, that stubbornness, that's in us. You don't have to teach a child to do that. You don't have to teach a child to manipulate, to stretch the truth. And so we grow up, and then we're, we're, we're no different than that little three-year-old that will not say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't want to fight with you. I don't want to have arguments with you. I read this one. I like it. After winning an argument with his wife, the wisest thing a man can do is apologize. That was supposed to be a joke. (laughs) 
Proverbs 15, later in the chapter, he says, A hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, but a patient man calms a quarrel. Are we going to try to bring this thing down? Are we just going to stir it up? I, I can remember being in arguments with people for hours. I mean, hours, arguing for hours. And like, what did it accomplish in the end? If anything, it destroyed relationships. I think one of the things we need to, to talk about too, where he says, you know, to gently instruct one another, I think we need to understand that maybe we are the ones that need to be instructed. I'm thinking I'm going to teach them. Well, maybe it is that I need to be taught. Maybe it is that I need to, to uh, realize that, that I have got it all wrong. I'm the one. And again, it's our pride that keeps us from going there. I'm not going to go there. No, I, I got this all right. Well, maybe you got it even 90% right, but I doubt you got it 100% right. I doubt it. Maybe it's time we need to listen to the other one. To listen. How about this quote? The only people who really listen to both sides of the argument are the neighbors. <laughs> right? Depends on how close your house is to the next house. How much insulation is in the wall? Look what he says, though. He says there are those who oppose him. He must gently instruct. But, but then he, he, he kind of switches gears a little bit. He's got two more things in this thing that I, I want to point out before we close. He says, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. The things he wants us to do. But then what is he, what is he pointing to there? He's pointing to prayer, really. He's pointing to prayer that we need to pray. We need to pray. We need to ask God into this situation. And, and I think there are two ways to look at that. One, we, we need to pray in ourselves. And maybe we need to, you know, get apart and, and spend some time praying. But there's also been times when, when we have found, uh, my wife and I have found that if we pray right then, even though it's like prayer through like clenched teeth like that, you can still pray with your teeth clenched, you know, right? But we've seen that when we just take the, let's just pray, and it's just like, God help us, God help us, amen. And yet, and yet, something happens. It's, I, I, I challenge you to try it. It's miraculous, to say the least. But Paul here says to pray. He says that God will grant them, that God will do something. God can change their heart. You know, you're never going to argue somebody's heart to change, somebody's mind to change. You're never going to make someone's, you know, you're not going to argue their, you know, them into your position. It just doesn't work. You're not going to argue someone into the kingdom of God, right? It doesn't work. Pray, ask God to get involved. See what, he, see what he will do. See what he can do. Because prayer 
changes things. That's Jerry Brown, the U-turn for Christ, their, their motto. Prayer changes things. Pray. He says there would be a turnaround. Pray that God would bring this turnaround, this repentance. We can't force it to happen. And then the last verse there, verse 26, and that they will recover, that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. And that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Say, so what has that got to do with us arguing? Well, actually, it has a lot to do with it because there's this aspect as a spiritual battle, right? There's a spiritual battle taking place. And the enemy, as we are believers, the enemy loves quarrels. He loves conflict. He loves division. He loves people to get all uh, angry and at odds with each other. He loves that stuff. He'll set it up. He says, it says here that he's a trap. He sets those little traps for us. We've got to watch out for the traps. And when we, when we go down this path and we're all into that, he's got us right where he wants us, right? Saying, wow, yes. It worked. It's going so well. But if you look in Ephesians chapter 6, what does it say? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You know, we need to understand that it's not the flesh and blood that we are having this battle with. There's a spiritual warfare that is taking place. We need to step back and say, wait a minute. Am I going to go down that path and get sucked into all that? And remind ourselves, it's not, it's, there's more to it than just, you know, so-and-so and I having this, you know, battle argument. Later in that chapter in Ephesians 6, he says, put on the whole armor of God, right? So that you can make a stand. But the very first piece of armor is what? The belt of truth. But usually what, and, and, and believe me, I've done this and I've seen it happen. We want to bring out the sword first, right? The sword of the Spirit. I'm going to slash you up with, with Bible verses even and, and you go for it. But that's actually the last piece of armor that he talks about. The last is the sword of the Spirit. First, put on the belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness where we are right with one another. That's what that means. Right with God. So, the value of arguing, I have to finish it with question marks. What's the value of arguing? The kind of arguing I've been talking about today. Not much. Not much. Not much at all. We perhaps need to think about that. I hope for myself and for all of us that when, we, when this happens, and believe me, it will happen, and I hope it doesn't happen on the way home from church. I, feel, I will feel really bad. So don't tell me. That we need to do what Paul says. Be kind. Be gentle. Let's not hold these, these memories. Let's teach. Let's pray. Let's be aware of the spiritual battle because the Lord's servant must not I want to read an illustration that I found 
it ties into this, and it's kind of like the last little point. He says, on a cold winter evening, a man suffered a heart attack. And after being admitted to the hospital, he asked the nurse to call his daughter. And he explained, you see, I live alone, and she is the only family I have. And the nurse went to phone the daughter. And the daughter was quite upset and shouted, you must not let him die. You see, Dad and I had a terrible argument almost a year ago, and I haven't seen him since. That's reality, isn't it? This is not just a story. This stuff happens. We, we argue with someone, and then we don't even want to talk to them. I've seen arguments fester for years and years and years. She said, all these months I've wanted to go to him for forgiveness. The last thing I said to him was, I hate you. And the daughter cried and said, I'm coming now. I'll be there in 30 minutes. The patient went into cardiac arrest. The nurse prayed, oh God, his daughter's coming. Don't let it end this way. But the efforts of the medical team to revive the patient were fruitless. And the nurse observed one of the doctors talking to the daughter outside the room. She could see the hurt in her face. And the nurse took the daughter aside and said, I'm sorry. And she said, the daughter said, I never hated him, you know. I loved him. And now I want to go see him. And the nurse took her to the room and the daughter went to the bed and buried her face in the sheets as she said goodbye to her father. And the nurse, as she tried not to look at this sad goodbye, she noticed a scrap of paper on the bed table. She picked it up and she read, My dearest Janie, I forgive you. I pray you will also forgive me. I know that you love me. I love you too. Signed, Daddy. There's something about this. You know, we've talked about things that we shouldn't do, but, you know, we, we've already done a lot of these things, haven't we? And there's something about the power of forgiveness that we've got to keep in mind, too, because we'll make mistakes again. I know I will. I don't try to. I don't want to, but uh, there's forgiveness. And we need to forgive each other. There's a power, extreme amount of power in forgiveness. Let's pray together, shall we? Our gracious Heavenly Father, you know the lives that we each live, you know where we live, who we live with, who we work with, who we go to school with, the things that happen in this life. And, and God, it's not always easy to be the Lord's servant. So we pray you'd help us, Lord. You want us to go a different way, to instead do it differently than just the way our flesh wants to do it, the way the enemy wants us to do it. Help us, Lord, by your Spirit. Help us to be kind, to, to have that gentleness, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, that love, that thinks of the other person, not just ourselves first. Help us, Lord, we, we pray, Lord, but, but also if we, we look to you for forgiveness as well as we've, as we've blown it. We look to our, the people we've had these uh, altercations with that you would help us to forgive them and that they would forgive us. God, you know our bodies, your word says, you know that we're just dust. Just like that stubborn little three-year-old. Help us to grow up, to be more like Jesus who, who didn't argue with people. Father, I, I pray here this morning as we close as well for 
just the power of your spirit in our lives to live for you, that we might surrender to you and honor you. I pray also for any that have never believed or trusted in Jesus, that today would be your, your spiritual birthday, where you'd be born again by the Spirit of God by simply praying these words and saying, Dear Jesus, come into my life and my heart. Forgive me. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I need you. I'm lost. Help me today, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together, shall we?